Well, good evening. It's good to have everyone back together this evening. And if you would, uh, take a Bible and turn to the book of 1 John. This is where we were this morning. For those of you who were here, if you were not here this morning, you'll get to hear part of the passage that we went over this morning. And I'd like to try a bit of an experiment tonight, and that is to take you back to the first century and show you what a sermon might have sounded like sitting in one of those early churches. Uh, you may know that in the first century there would be any manner of people who would stand up and speak and share and they would read scripture. But the scriptures that they read were always the Old Testament. That's what the scriptures were for that first church. And someone would stand and read something from the prophets or from the Psalms or from you know one of the narratives and then explain how these things were coming to fulfillment in Jesus. But every once in a while, a letter would show up. And it would be a letter from... Paul, or Peter, or in this case, John. And someone would stand up front and hold up the parchment and say, guess what just showed up? This is a letter from John. And tonight we're going to be reading that together. That's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, That's the way it would have been done in the first century. And one of the gifts that that first group of Christians gave to us is they copied that letter down that the letters that you read in your New Testament were so important to those first Christians that they said, we're going to make a copy of this. And they made a copy, probably for their congregation, but then a copy would have been made to send somewhere else. And then those copies were thought to be so important that those Christians would copy those copies and pass them on to others. And eventually those copies would go into other cultures and places where they spoke other languages. And so the, the copies would be translated. And eventually copies of copies would reach their this part of the world. And this very book that we read tonight would be translated into English. And so you get to hear what they heard, but you hear it in, in English. Now, to set the stage, let me take you back to the first century and at least try to show some parallels to the culture in which that first church had gathered, because I think you'll find that it was very familiar to the city and the place and time in which you live, too. If I were to ask you, what is it that really controls reality? You're sitting in church, so you would probably say, well, God does. But if I were to ask that in the city of Anchorage or here in Alaska, Who or what really controls reality? What would the answers be? There would be some who would say that it's those who are in power who control reality. And that could be political power, military power, could be corporate power, those who have money. Uh, But it's those who are in power, the ones that seem to control what happens and control, therefore, all of reality. Others would say, no, no, reality is controlled merely by time and chance. And even those who are in power are only in power by time and chance. And everything goes back, as the Epicureans used to say, to these atoms that are just sort of falling through the universe that randomly collide, and then everything is made from those atoms, including the events that occur uh, between people. And so they would say time and chance control reality. Others would say, no, no, individuals control reality. This is what you would hear most often in Alaska. We're independent people. I can tell you who controls what happens in my life. It's me. And that's why in Alaska we value our independence. And that's one of the cultural values of our time, that individuals control reality. And you could probably go on and list others. But John comes in tonight and he gives us a different answer. 
And it's the same answer he gave in that culture. So in your mind, go back to the city of Ephesus, which is probably where this letter was first read. And there in Ephesus, down the street, there would be a temple to those in power. They considered Artemis to be the one who was in power, or the Roman Empire, the military power at the time. There were others who said, the Epicureans, who said, no, it's time and chance that controls reality. And then the others who said, no, you, the Stoics, you control reality and controlling yourself. So there was the same mix. And they faced the same problems. And if you went into any of their homes and and sat down to dinner with them, you would be amazed at the, the struggles they have in their families were the same ones that you have. The struggles you have at work are the same same struggles. In your neighborhood, the fights they had with their in their community and neighbors were the same as yours. The heartbreaking events in their families would be the same ones that you're going through. And so you share something in common with that first church. Now imagine that church having come together in probably a house-like structure, maybe somebody who had a large courtyard and they would all circle up. And then into this church, somewhere either in and around Ephesus, comes somebody with a parchment rolled up, and it's from... It's from John. And tonight, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it to you, the story of John. Now, I'm doing this for two reasons. One is because here on the fifth Sunday, uh, we're setting aside this time for others to be able to give the message, to give the sermon. And I want to be a good example and show you that you don't have to make up a sermon yourself. That it's perfectly fine if you found something in Scripture to share, to read that Scripture for the church. And it's actually a fun thing to do sometimes if you're willing to do it, to stand up here and present to us the Sermon on the Mount. Let us hear Jesus's sermon or read to us something that Paul wrote, or as you'll hear tonight, something that John wrote. C.S. Lewis years ago, you know C.S. Lewis, the one who wrote Chronicles of Narnia and some other books. He was also a teacher, teacher of medieval literature. And he wrote this really unknown book called An Experiment in Criticism. It's actually a great book on how to study your Bible, even though that's not its subject. (laughs) It's a book about how to read, you know, other forms of literature. But what he says in that book is the most important thing to do if you're going to study any piece of literature is to first read the literature and let the message wash over you, kind of like a wave, you know, in the ocean, and then catch the entire message. The worst thing to do is to stop at any point and try to criticize or tease out or make some point out of one line. The first thing to do is to read this. So if that was called an experiment in criticism tonight, this is an experiment in preaching (laughs) and doing what the first century church did. It's my privilege tonight to simply stand up. And if you haven't found it yet, we're in the book of 1 John here towards the end of your New Testament. And let me do what the first church did. And for just the next few minutes, allow your mind to relax and then feel and hear this message that John wrote, wash over you and see if the message given to them is not the same message to you today. And you'll be so thankful that somebody in that first church made this copy for you. First John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have studied and our hands have touched, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this 
to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But... If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to cause him to stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. I write this to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are passing away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the anti-Messiah is coming, even now many anti-Messiahs have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, 
and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Such a man is the anti-Messiah. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world did not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him, and he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? It was because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that a murderer, no murderer, has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, 
and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything that we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus the Messiah, has come in the flesh, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the anti-Messiah, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. For whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, Love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love 
drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have from him what we have asked for. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, He should pray, and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin, because the one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot touch him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ, for he is the true God and the eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. May God bless the reading of his word. And if there's anything that you've heard tonight in the message from John, allow it to sink deeply into your heart, into your mind. Meditate on it and spend time with the Lord on it. But if there's something there that leads you to want to request prayer, help, 
uh, or the following of the, uh, the, the, the walking with you of the church here, uh, come forward now as we stand and sing.